Hi, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss Zelda lore. My name is Crystal, and with me today is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. Now today, we are going to start our series on The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. This is a game that a lot of people seem to like a lot. In fact, we'd probably go so far as to say that for some people, this is the epitome of the what you might think of as the modern era Zelda, uh, the Link to the Past formula. I think a lot of people came of age with this game. Similar to how you and I and maybe Crystal did with Ocarina of Time. I mean, when this game came out, I was 13 years of age. Really? But I would consider it the weakest of the 3D Zeldas. Monica, you know she's 25. (laughs) I lose count. I lose count. When this game came out, I was in university. I remember just the, 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 the few trailers that came out along the way, and it was kind of shitty internet, and it still, we had still had to take a couple of minutes to download everything. And I remember one of the trailers actually um, downloading it in the university library, and I downloaded it and cried in public. <laughs> and that was a thing. Crystal, you said, yeah, I don't want to talk about downloading that first 90 meg trailer. And if you're wondering why I remember that it was 90 megs, it was because I was on a 28K connection. Um, Crystal, you said you consider this the worst of the 3D Zeldas? A worst, worst. I mean, yes, that is technically accurate. I think worst is a bit of a strong word. I still like this game, but I don't like it as much as the other 3D Zeldas. Okay, we'll call it the least spectacular. Sure. I mean, it's a good game. It had some good trailers. I like that 2004 trailer and that 2005 trailer. The trailers, it was like the best use of Poldurus that had ever been since that first Ocarina of Time trailer that used the same damn song. You mean the the introduction trailer? Yeah, with the Conan theme. I still pull that up from time to time. And every time I think of that one guy in the crowd who recognizes the Conan song and knows it's Zelda and cheers maybe 20 seconds before everyone else. Yeah. And I'd like to shake his hand. <laughs> Why don't they do Conan trailers anymore? Um, I don't think they need to. No? Well, do you think that Riders of Doom, which is the name of the track that was used in the reveal trailer for Twilight Princess and the cinematic trailer for Ocarina of Time, would have improved the Breath of the Wild trailers at all? Absolutely. Really? How do you figure? I, I mean, the current trailers are pretty good, but I'd like to have seen a third one with Riders of Doom. But they keep writing this really good music that incorporates themes from throughout the Zelda series and using it specifically for trailers. Yeah, they do do that. They should also do Riders of Doom in addition. <laughs> Somebody should cut one of the Breath of the Wild trailers and do Riders of Doom. They've probably done I, it I'm already. Going, I, I want to say that that has probably already happened, and you should look that up on your phone while we're doing this. Sure. So this game was initially announced as a sequel to Wind Waker called The Wind Waker 2. Then they canceled that because America hated the cartoon style of The Wind Waker. <sighs> well, I mean, they did. In many ways, this game is a reaction to Wind Waker and its initial negative reaction, and really a a comeback to everything that um, fans had to say about Ocarina of Time. It is, in some ways, straight up a refutation of Wind Waker, stylistically and thematically. Yes, it definitely is that. People say that Nintendo doesn't 
really listen to his fans, but this is proof positive that they do. Yeah, this was the... This game, Twilight Princess, is the result of legions of mostly Western fans saying that they wanted a Zelda that looked more like the Lord of the Rings movies. I just think of how... You can you can melt Zoro's domain in this one. Yeah, and that's <laughs> we'll get to that. That's the big thing, the the big fix. We'll we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll I, know, to yeah, it. I, I know. A lot of the games of this era were influenced by the Lord of the Rings movie. Oblivion was also highly influenced by the success of those films. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I didn't play Oblivion all the way through. I think I only did three or four Oblivion gates, but you definitely got a mortar feeling in certain parts of it, and a New Zealand feeling in other parts of it. You should play Oblivion. It's the best Elder Scrolls game. So I'm told sometimes, but Elder Scrolls is uh, awfully heavy fare, you know? It's hard to just, like, bang that out, and it's not really very relaxing for me to play. So this game sort of started as, let's try to bring in some of the features we couldn't do in Ocarina, like horseback combat, and maybe we can do, like, some kind of light world, dark world equivalent, and maybe Link can be an animal this time, but instead of a bunny, he'll be a wolf. Because wolves are cool and masculine. <laughs> and he'll be, like, somewhat older. Yeah, the, the the name of the game here is Cool. Cool. Cool and masculine. Yeah. I believe this is also one of the only games in the series where they put significant development into the story of the game before the gameplay had fully come together. Mm. I think that it did come in fairly early. If I remember... I'm sure this was talked about in an Iwata Asks at some point, but I may be misremembering this, and you'll have to forgive me if I am. Uh, what they were doing was, very early on, they figured that they'll make a companion character to be on Wolf Link's back, and that became Midna, and that was the entire impetus for the story. So the story actually came in pretty early on this one. Uh, Anuma's also talked a lot before about how he does have ideas for different new IPs that he could make. But he always ends up incorporating them into Zelda. Yes. And I think I feel that the most in this game, because a lot of the stuff with the Twilight feels like it's out of a different series. Huh. How do you figure? I don't know. It it feels... He kind of de-emphasizes Hyrule in favor of exploring the internal politics of this whole other kingdom. That's true. You do get quite a bit more insight into the Twilight Realm than you ever have into Hyrule. It's interesting that it's a good change that they made um, early on, where initially the Twilight Realm was, I suppose, in black and white. Yeah. And I think the, the reason for that was because, you know, wolves, something, color, they see limited color or something like that. But um, then they decided to make it bloom. Yeah, you could see the black and white in some of the early trailers. Yeah. But Bloom, also a major trend in this era. Also present in Oblivion. Very major. Very major. Also playing as a wolf ended up being a big thing in 2006. This came out a little bit after Okami, right? Yes. Yeah, because I remember a lot of people comparing the two. This was also originally supposed to come out in 2005 as a GameCube game, but then they delayed it so it could be a Wii launch game which was partially inspired by Onuma looking at Phantom Hourglass and the various gameplay innovations of that game and going, man, this game's better than mine. <laughs> huh. You know, 
if I had to rank the two against each other just as experiences to play, I might prefer Phantom Hourglass 2, but I'd be really curious to know what metric he's using there. Motion it controls? It had a, a higher caliber of innovation. Scribble controls. I, I remember a big kerfuffle about the world being flipped from the GameCube to the Wii. Yeah, because Link is traditionally left-handed, as he is in the GameCube version. But for the Wii, they wanted to have motion controls with the sword, and most people are right-handed. So they made Link right-handed, and instead of adjusting things about the the puzzles and the enemies, they just flipped the whole thing. And then they flipped it back for Twilight Princess HD. Mm-hmm. Because that, that does was not fun. have... <laughs> that actually made the entire world feel new to me again because I kept on turning right when I should turn left and then it just run into a wall. <laughs> so, good change. Actually, come to think of it, isn't the GameCube version of Twilight Princess the last initial release of a console Zelda where Link is left-handed? I hmm, I believe so. Yes. I think so. Cuz Link is right-handed in both Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild. Even though there's no reason for it in Breath of the Wild. Like, not even that piddling little reason that they gave for it in Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword. Well, at that point, Link had been right-handed for over a decade. You're not wrong, but it's still goofy. It's like how Ganondorf is no longer a relevant character. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you two know this game a lot more than I do, I think. Um, do we? How many times have you played it? I've played it exactly two times. Hmm once on the nintendo wii and once on the nintendo wii u i think i've played it three or four times one of them being twilight princess hd and two on the wii but i I could be wrong when i played the wii u version i did not really notice much different about the world being flipped because i did not remember the world well enough as i might in ocarina or majora or wind waker The world leaves a very different kind of impression on you in Twilight Princess as compared to the others, I think. Because in Ocarina or Wind Waker or Majora, you're moving around what gives you the illusion of being a single contiguous space. A very large bunch of areas. Wide areas. But Twilight Princess dispenses with that illusion almost entirely, having very few open fields and a lot of connecting corridors. Yeah, looking at the map of this game is very strange looking because it's a bunch of, like you said, stringy corridors connecting uh, some areas the size of Hyrule Field. Yeah. And Hyrule Field is big in this game, but it's not necessarily big in a way that benefits it, I don't think. it's No, it's very empty. Yeah, there's not a lot going on there, which is odd because when you talk about Hyrule Field and any of the other 3D Zeldas, at least insofar as Hyrule Field exists, it's not really much of a thing in Skyward Sword. But when you talk about them, they're relatively dense in terms of the things that you can do. You don't have to travel very far in any other 3D Zelda to find something to do. No, you don't. In this one, there's maybe like half a dozen things to do, not including the bugs that you find around, but there's like one place where you need to dig in as Wolf Link, and then I think maybe one or two entrances to places you have to bomb, 
And that's it. One's impression of Hyrule Field is shaped at least a little bit because you initially approach every overworld area in the game as Wolf Link while using the game's scent mechanic. And that leads to you running all over Hyrule Field following a narrow path unable to see out of your periphery very well because Wolf Link's senses really shrink down your field of vision. You don't see anything. You don't see squat. So you know that you've gone through this space, but you don't really have a sense of it a lot of the time. You could have been running in circles. And you, actually, I think in at least one sequence, you actually do go round and round at least once. It's odd. Yeah. But anyway, maybe the story-ish, I don't know. Let's talk about the story of Twilight Princess. Shall we start at the beginning? Is there a, is there a prologue somewhere? No, it pretty much just opens with Russell speaking. Right, and this is the age where there isn't a menu, or not a menu, a brochure. There's something in the manual. Is there? Maybe. We have the manual. Yeah. I don't, because I bought the digital version. Mm. Ooh. No, I'm talking about the manual for the Wii version. Oh, okay. Or GameCube. Twilight Princess Wii version PDF. Okay. Well, this is a high-resolution PDF, because it's taking a minute to load. (laughs) You can link it to us if you like. Yeah, see, one of the things about our setup as compared to most folks is that they have their uh, microphone microphones much closer to their faces. And since you and I are using one microphone, we have to be spaced back from it a bit more, and that can create inconsistencies. We can lean in closer. So close. So intimate. <laughs> uh, so the prologue pretty much just recaps the beginning of the game, but there's some interesting details in here. It mentions that... Link is expected to one day become the village chief. What? Why does yeah, that make sense? that's not in the game at all, is it? No, it's not. It's never mentioned in the text, and in fact, I would probably not pay a lot of attention to it. Insofar that Ilya clearly likes him. Yeah, but He's like... He's probably slated to become the village chief. <laughs> being the mayor isn't hereditary. Well, who you knows? El- you elect mayors and village foremans. Well, he is very capable, so... Insofar as that goes. Wow, a prologue. Yeah, but it's like a prologue that covers the first hour of the game. Um, let's I like, see. I like the prologue in this game. It's actually a pretty good prologue, I think. Um, I like the I bug hunt, too. I don't think yeah. that we should read this entire thing. Yeah, no, I don't think there's anything new in here except for the fact that Link is expected to be the chief. Um, let me see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Maybe we could just read the first two paragraphs. Okay, sure. And, uh, yeah. Deep in the southernmost region of the kingdom of Hyrule lies a village by the name of Ordon. Cradled in the scenic beauty of pristine farmland, the villagers of Ordon make a living by raising livestock. Among the villagers is a boy known as the most skillful rider in all the land. A boy who, it is expected, will one day take over the responsibility of leading Ordon as the village chief. His name is Link. Trusted and liked by all the villagers, Link is especially loved by the other children of Ordon, among whom he holds unofficial status as the leader of the pack. Ah, pack wolves. Yeah. Link spends his days as a ranch hand and learns the ways of the sword from the village's lone swordsman, Rusel, in his spare time. He often displays his newly honed skills to the village youth, which makes him even more popular. The idea that Link is the leader of this gang of children is even weirder because he's considerably older than them. Yeah, he's like, he feels like he's 17 to 20 in this one. He's easily and effectively an adult. Yeah. The, and the kids are like 
six. They're wee baby children. <laughs> so I I have a lot of issues with this prologue. Well, I mean, yeah, that's it. He, he's still considered one of the youths of the village mm-hmm. because there is like a power gap between his age and the rest of the adults in the village, except for maybe the other farmhand. It's hard to tell. One th- impression that I got during uh, the prologue of Twilight Princess, and this is especially true with the kids, is that a lot of them have what I think of as me face, in that the proportions on their faces and the particular styles of their facial features looks like it was built in Me Maker and then redone in the Zelda engine. Like, looking at the faces of the kids, I could... Back in 2006, I thought that I could have pretty easily recreated pretty good facsimiles of them as me's. Yeah, I could see that. They do kind of have one dominant expression. I think that all of the characters in Twilight Princess have that sort of exaggerated art style. The kids in particular, but the adults as well, they, they're exaggerated. They're not realistic. And even though the, the world is sort of in that realistic graphic... Um, they they look just as exaggerated for emotional impact, so that you can quickly read their their characters. Yeah, I never understood when people said this game has a realistic art style. It absolutely does not. It is very stylized. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's nothing even close to realistic. I don't think um, there is still kind of a more pronounced example of this in the villagers of Ordon compared to other places. Um, the Gorons also have that very much. But when you compare certain characters like the Zora Queen or Ganondorf or Zelda or the true form of Midna, they kind of stick out a little bit in terms of their character designs. They feel not more grounded, but as if they were produced by a different method in terms of how they're drawn. There's the serious art guy, and then there's the environmental, you know, comedic art guy. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe the Ordon villagers look different because they're Kokiri. Are they Kokiri? That's my theory, <laughs> that this is the Kokiri woods. We could talk about that. That's okay, a good... let's talk about that. Where's the Ordon. Deku tree? <laughs> it's dead. Why? So... The thing about the people of Ordon is they are not Hillians. They are, in fact, humans with round ears. Now, just a moment. It does need to be said that the word Hillian or Hylian is never used once in the entire text of Twilight Princess. In fact, this game is notable because it calls everyone humans. Everyone is human. That's true. There's no Hillians. There's no Triforce. Yeah, no mention of the Triforce at all. Even though it actually physically shows up more than once. Yeah, well, they may have forgotten. Well, we'll talk about that later. Ugh. But um, Ordon is notable because it is defined as a province of Hyrule, but also, especially in this first part with Rusal, they don't see themselves as Hylian. They don't even see themselves as Hyrulean. Sorry, Hyrulean. They don't see themselves as Hyrulean because Rusal asks Link... Um, or makes asks him, you have never been to Hyrule, right? And you think, well, maybe he means Hyrule Castle or Hyrule Castle Town. But no, he goes on to say, in the kingdom of Hyrule, there's a great castle, and around it is Castle Town, a community far bigger than our little village. So these inhabitants of this 
this newest province clearly still see themselves as different, as other. Maybe the Ordonians are basically Quebecois. <laughs> maybe they were recently added and maybe not um, on fully friendly or um, universally contented terms. They maybe made they access were to the queen, but they're not, they're not citizens. Huh, maybe. Well, they clearly pay tribute. This is all about paying tribute to the crown. It's like, oh, maybe we'll actually no longer be a province and we'll be brought in proper or something. Provinces seems to be the the term for the proper term. It's not a territory. Okay. It's not a um, whatever Puerto Rico is. (laughs) Territory? Listen, I haven't done my (laughs) U.S. I think it might be a a commonwealth. Uh, Commonwealth is the... I'm I'm really not American. But Kentucky's also a commonwealth. Wait, Kentucky calls itself a commonwealth? As does, as does Massachusetts. That's preposterous. Words, what do they mean? They're states. No, they're commonwealths. <laughs> Either I want to talk way. about humans in the Legend of Zelda series. <laughs> I, think that, I think that humans may have colonized the Kikiri forest and the forest spirits pulled further back into the woods. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah, and I think the, the forest spirit of Ordon, forest spirit, the spirit of Ordon is a fairly new addition too. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to that. Oh, there's lots of ideas about what Ordona might be. But I want to talk about humans, which for the sake of our defining of terms, we will call humanoids that look like Kalians but have round ears. Sure. So they appear in a few games in the series. In Link's Awakening, all of the people on Kovalent Island have round ears. Hmm. In the Oracle series, the majority of the people in Labrina and Holodrum have round ears. It can be a little hard to tell. I in Twilight Princess, of course, the, the people of Ordon have round ears. And in Triforce Heroes, the people of Hytopia have round ears. So this is a characteristic of foreign peoples. It also needs to be mentioned, though, that everyone in Skyward Sword is also referred to as human. Yes. Yes. Well, I guess it would be weird to call them Hylians, because Hylia fairly recent development no on the scheme of things they've been up there for thousands of years oh colony i was thinking of the word colony yeah they don't really um bring back the word hylians until breath of the wild that's interesting hylian is kind of an outlying term as far as this series is concerned is it really a big consideration or a signifier for people outside of ocarina of time and breath of the wild well, I'm not so much talking about the terms here. I, I want to distinguish them physically, because the point of the round ears is to hear the voices of the gods. Well, that's what Hylians say, but you, you're, you're talking about you want to talk about humans as a separate ethnic group from the uh, ethnicity of humans called Hylians. Sure, something like that, yeah. Okay, so what have you got? Uh, I I got what I just said, basically. Oh, that yeah. The humans are not as connected to Hylia because they can't hear her. Well, I mean, I don't think most Hylians can hear her either, and that's just one of the things they like to say. I think that it might actually be like um, a misinterpretation with regards to how the Hyrulean royal family relates to Hylia. Okay. The, the thing is, nobody in the game really spots the difference or remarks on it. Yeah, because Link still has pointed ears, right? Yes, Link does. 
Now, it needs to be mentioned that in the manga version of Twilight Princess, Link is actually not from Ordon. Oh, is that so? He is from a kingdom that was destroyed by an incursion of the Twilight. They made okay. some really big changes here. Big that changes. That explains where he came from. I guess. You do kind of see that he is different in the village in that his home is kind of outside of village central. Yeah. He sort of has that outsider status. The opening of this game is interesting because it firmly establishes that Russell or Russell, however you prefer, I'm going to go with Russell just because that comes more naturally to me, is his father figure and that Russell's son, Colin, looks up to Link as a big brother. And Link has had quite a bit of familial connection in the past couple of games, but this is as hard as they go in on it in the entire franchise, I think. On a full family. Yeah, on a full family. It does leave the question, where is Link's original family? Why does he live by himself outside the village? Uh, the whole village is kind of like his family to me. They're... Their text um, changes throughout the game, and you can go in and check on them even when the game doesn't require you to, and there's some unique stuff that they say. Right. And that's great. I wish every game did that way more <laughs> often. And really, they do indicate that you should care about these people, or you may care about them. And, you know, because you do here, you get all this extra text. Um, the village is also... It's got the whole Wind Waker thing where... All of the homes have um, flavor so that the Mallow's household, you can see where the kids sleep and where they've scribbled on the walls. And you can really figure out, okay, well, there are these, this many family members. This is where, you know, Colin's parents are and they're, she's making things for the baby. So it really benefits. You don't really, most people I don't think wander around and really look, but especially in Twilight Princess HD when... Um, everything's a lot crisper, um, you can really notice it. It's quite a lot of environmental storytelling. Yeah. The only thing it's missing is a skeleton sitting over a bowl of moldy cereal. What? It's a Fallout reference. Oh. Never playing Fallout, I <laughs> don't know. <laughs> what? But yeah, uh, environmental storytelling is definitely a really big thing in Twilight Princess. It was to a much lesser extent in Wind Waker, and I think that they actually capitalize on that concept a lot more in Skyward Sword, because you can tell a lot about not just the people, but how they relate to each other from their rooms in Skyward Sword, which is very interesting and something that carries on a little bit more throughout the course of the games. But environmental storytelling has been very big in Zelda games for a long time. Uh, Ocarina of Time did it as much as anything. We can draw a lot of conclusions about the history of the Hyrulean royal family just based on the dungeon that is beneath the well in Kakariko Village. But Twilight Princess is the first one that really goes in quite this hard on where people live and establishing them as characters without using dialogue to do it. You spend the first hour of the game learning about the village. Yeah. What did you two think about the, the tutorial? Well, I mean, the tutorial for the game actually goes quite a bit further than just what I would think of as the prologue. It's not bad. It's not poorly paced. I know that a lot of people have problems with the opening of Twilight Princess, but I never really did. It's just very deliberate. It wants you to experience things at a certain speed and either be along for the ride or don't. And that's pretty much it. What You just replayed this, Crystal. What did you think of it? 
I think the tutorial is probably my favorite part of the game, actually. Wow. I Yeah, it's somewhat unique in the Zelda series because although there are tutorials, they're not usually this guided. Like, this almost feels like it's a linear cinematic game like Uncharted or something. Just because you, you have to do A to get to B to get to C. Yeah. I could see that. It is definitely more... People talk about how handholdy Skyward Sword is, and to a degree that's true. But Twilight Princess is often just as much or more explicit about pointing you in the direction you need to go and giving you a specific task to do that will necessarily carry you towards your next objective. In fact, I remember a large part of the... Basically, the first 75% of the game is very one-pathed. I mean, I know Zelda games always have, like, the set order of dungeons and so on, but um, this game in particular kind of discourages that whole world collecting thing. Yeah, there aren't really as many places for you to go, like, oh, let me break open this uh, crate way down on the cliff. Not the first part of the cliff, but the second part of the cliff that you have to fly down to with a chicken. Aha, there's a hard piece in here. There's less of that. Yeah. Crystal, where do you th- what do you consider the end of the prologue in Twilight Princess? When Link is in Hyrule Field in his green clothes. Oh. Wait, how long does that take? That's a while. Like three hours. Yeah. Uh, isn't that after you do the first dungeon? Yes. It is, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they really uh, put you on rails until you get to the first dungeon. And that first dungeon's pretty beefy as first dungeons in this series go. But yeah, if that's the case, this game does have a very long prologue. Hell, its prologue is longer than Skyward Swords. Cam, what would you call the, the prologue? Uh, actually, that's a really good spot to call it. That might kind be. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. That, that might be the place. Because really, you can't wander up to that point. No. And even after that point, your wandering is relatively limited. Shall we go a little bit into the point-by-points along the story? Yeah, we do We do, do that on this podcast from time to time. <laughs> are, so, we, are we still recovering from the Infinity War episode? A little bit. That recording for our listeners was only two days ago. Uh-huh. And it was four hours. <laughs> four hours of recording. It came out to like three hours and 30 minutes after editing. That wasn't too bad. Right, so Link does a bunch of tutorial stuff. He whistles in a piece of grass to summon an eagle. He does some ranching. He wrestles a cow. He does some sumo wrestling. (laughs) A goat cow. Actually, hold on. Let's stop there for just a second. Like, we know that this game is a little bit different in its treatment of Link. Firstly, it, like, frames him as the big brother character to Colin and the eldest son to Russell which is more intimate than Link is usually treated in any of these games, up to and including Wind Waker, even though you do have a sister in Wind Waker. The fact of you being an older male character for Colin and a younger male character for Russell is intrinsic to Link's characterization in this game, and that follows through into the game's mechanics in a way that no other game in the series can lay claim to. Now, you mentioned that Link wrestles a goat, one of the Ordon goats that escapes from the ranch as he's talking to the mayor. Yeah. And the way that he handles that goat is the goat comes charging and Link plants both of his feet, catches the goat by the horns, 
and by sheer force of the strength of his arms, tosses it through the air so it lands on its side and goes ashamedly back to the ranch on its own without having to be directed. <laughs> Link is the most physically strong of the Links. I wouldn't even go that far, because Breath of the Wild Link is like super bananas. But I mean that Twilight Princess Link is the most physically dominant in the context of his own game. The act of asserting his physical superiority is core to several sequences mechanics. It shows up in the sumo. It shows up in the sumo. It shows up in the goat wrestling. It shows up in several boss battles. Mm. The fact that Link has is a really assertively masculine in this game is true in a way that's not true in any other game in the series. Any other game in the series, I would say that... Link's gender doesn't matter, but they hit you over the head in this game that Link is a man. Even Hmm. his character design is not as androgynous as it typically is. Yeah. He's definitely got um, more masculine cut to his features. He's got really defined musculature compared to every other depiction. Yeah, he's not um, his usual more... Um, ambiguous design. Like, I remember the sumo scene and when his shirt is off and it's like, that is a brick wall of muscle. Yeah, he's 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 not burly, but he's strong. He's not a dude. <laughs> this is not a dude. This is a man. Oh, boy. I don't know. I kind of like that joke about Chris Pratt being pudgy, but I think that Pratt's cuter when he's a little bit pudgier. Of course. They hired him for his pudginess he's or cu- leaning towards pudginess. He's cute. Right. Link's not as cute in this one. No. Um, you do some things for the villagers. Russell asks you to deliver the sword and shield that he made to the royal family of Hyrule. Now, hold on. What? There's actually like a sequence going on here that I want to go over. Because oh, why is it that you have to find the cat? Um, the mom is depressed because the cat ran off. Oh, that's right. So and she won't sell you the... the- Slingshot. The slingshot. You talk to the little shit kids outside of Link's house. And um, let's see. No, they start off leading Epona back into Orden Village. And you meet Ilya, one of the three main female characters of this game. And she gets pissed at Link because Epona has some kind of injury on her. No, that's later. Is that later? She just takes Epona the first time. I think we might want to read Russell's opening monologue because there's some interesting stuff in there. Okay, sure. We're jumping all over the place. I'm sorry. So it, the game opens with Link and Russell sitting at like a pond or something. And they're just talking. The sun's coming down. Russell says, tell me, do you ever feel a strange sadness as dusk falls? They say it's the only time when our world interacts with theirs. The only time we can feel the lingering regrets of spirits who have left our world. That is why loneliness always pervades the hour of twilight. So right here, there's two things established. One, the at least the legend of the Twilight Realm is a known thing. It's not like a, a big secret. Yeah, that's... And two, he refers to the Twilight as the spirits who have left our world. In some sense, I think the Twilight or the half-Twilight-ish um, world of the spirits, that's kind of mixed up together. So I think they've forgotten the Twily and sort of put it as almost like an afterlife yeah, sort of thing. This definitely seems like Russell's talking about the regretful spirits of the dead. Yeah, the Japanese version is actually much more explicit about 
the people of Hyrule believe the Twilight Realm to be the afterlife. Mm-hmm. That would make for an interesting read of a lot of parts of this game, I suppose. Yeah, well, yeah, with the Hyruleans being sent into the Twilight Realm, they're not actually being sent into the Twilight Realm. They're sort of in that weird half place. They're being killed. Effectively. But enough talk of sadness. I have a favor to ask of you, Link. I was supposed to deliver something to the royal family of Hyrule the day after tomorrow. Yes, it was a task set to me by the mayor, but would you go in my stead? You have never been to Hyrule, right? In the kingdom of Hyrule, there is a great castle, and around it is Castletown, a community far bigger than our little village. And far bigger than Hyrule is the rest of the world the gods created. You should look upon it all with your own eyes. A couple more things here is that one, Hyrule is explicitly identified as a small part of a much larger world. Mm-hmm. And Russell says the gods created this world. So although the people of Ordon may not be the people of Hylia, the people descended from the chosen people who went up to the sky, they do still believe in the golden goddesses. It's not clear which gods he's referring to, though. It's ambiguous. I don't think it's ambiguous as much as the game progresses. Because we can see throughout the rest of the game, again... I'm big into viewing each of these games within their own context, and Hylia isn't really a thing until Skyward Sword comes around. But if we look at them as part of a contiguous whole, like Aonuma sometimes likes to pretend, then it seems clear here that Hylia worship has almost been completely subsumed by worship of the Triforce gods, like in Ocarina of Time. It's on the throne. Yes, it's on the throne of the actual descendants of Hylia. And it's a symbol of um, unity or whether or not all is well in the kingdom. Yes. Um, this is, I, I think the, the opening paragraphs, just jumping back there to the strange sadness and the lingering regrets. This is really, looking at it after you've played the rest of the game, this is Midna's story. Yeah. Oh, you mean that Russell is expressing the regrets of Midna's people, or? Of Midna. Midna in particular? Yes. This is the intro to Midna's story where she takes some actions and definitively, and the connection which she severs that they'll regret in some way. So we're basically being given context here for Midna's characterization later on. I'd say so. I guess that makes sense. Um, And with regards to Hyrule being part of a larger world, do you see that as being atypical, Crystal? Uh, It's often left ambiguous. Hyrule is often treated as, if not the entire world, then the only part of the world that really matters. It does have the Triforce. Yeah, but Russell is saying, like, look, you should see Hyrule. That's all well and good. But don't stop there. See the rest of the world, too. There's other cool stuff. Russell's cool. He's the journeying swordsman settled down. He's probably the villager that's traveled the most. We know the chief is chummy with the Gorons, but Russell clearly has been around. He's an adult talking version of Link. Yeah. Well, not as cool as Link. Well, Uh, one of them. This game makes it very clear there's no guy cooler than Link. Well, there's no guy manlier than Link. (laughs) Not quite the same thing. It is in this game. Oh. Yeah. All right. So, going chronologically from here, they take Epona back. She's carrying some wood. Right, yeah. And then um, the game actually starts with you being herding some goats. Oh, yes. You herd some goats over in the ranch. 
and then time passes and then then I think the kids want to have you get a slingshot the next day passes this was kind of strange time wise because because you start off at the morning no wait no, hold on you this went whole... to the evening you yeah. heard the goats then it goes to the next morning then you sling you get the sling you have to do the long thing to get the slingshot then more time passes several days pass in this definite tutorial part does it yes oh my it's god weird i never noticed um you have to get the slingshot so you collect rupees uh, you have to go and get a fish for the cat and return the cat. The kitty ran away. No, you, you can't even get the fish first because you can't catch fish, so you have to... Get a fishing rod. And so at somewhere, you have to get the, the baby basket for the mom, too. I can't... It went down river. You need to get it with the fishing rod. And then you need to... No, no, you need to get the hawk... You have to call the hawk. Oh, the hawk carries the baby basket. And you have to learn how to call the hawk from the dad of Mallow. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a long <laughs> it's a long story. Yeah, that's a pretty involved sequence of events that goes on here. It's actually kind of dense in that it's teaching you the majority of non-combat mechanics in the game, right? Yeah. But the downside of this whole thing is that the vast majority of the non-combat mechanics used here are used so rarely throughout the rest of the game that they border on meaningless. Like the hawk summoning. Holy shit, how many times do you summon that hawk? Like five? I'd say like three. <sighs> Crystal, you just did it. How much do you use the hawk? Not much. Did you get something like this impression from the start of the game that it introduces a lot of gameplay modes that don't come up very often afterward? Uh, yeah, like even the wrestling I thought might be a little more prevalent, but it isn't. It comes up in the final boss, which is a really cool moment. But no, much, most of this stuff is pretty minor to the rest of the game. One and done. Which is a little bit different from how things work in the tutorials for other games. Even in Twilight... Uh, sorry. Even in Skyward Sword, which is perhaps justly uh, criticized for the length of its tutorial section. All the mechanics that you learn in that tutorial are useful throughout the rest of the game. It doesn't teach you a bunch of context-specific actions that can only be done in that single part. Whereas in Twilight Princess here, you're doing things where they might as well be teaching you how to wash clothes, and then you never wash clothes again. So you finally you get the slingshot, you show off in front of the kids, then what happens? Oh, they want you to use a sword, which um, Russell has made for Link. I, hold on. Doesn't Ilya take epona like right after you do the hurting no not yet no no more time passes no i think that's tomorrow so after you get the sword one of the kids spots a monkey and they chase it into the woods oh yeah the shit kid what yes was, which which kid tallow yes yeah, ta mallow's the baby uh yeah so it must be tallow tallow's the shit kid and beth is girl yeah <laughs> that's her Mallow's personality of the kids so they run after the monkey. Link better go and save the kids. Because they get they get trapped in a cage by Bacoblins. Yeah. Turns out there's uh, there's monsters out in them woods alongside the monkey. And the monkey's in the cage with the kid. A female monkey. You know she's female because she's got a bow. Oh, yeah. She does have a bow. 
Hey, that's easy gender coding for your monkey. In case you weren't sure, and in case it matters. Well, she can't tell you her name is Kiki until much later in the game. <laughs> um, and then you save them, and then... With a, with a stick! No, with this, with a wooden sword. Yeah, a wooden sto- sword is a stick, and you beat the Bacoblin's asses with the stick. The shit kid has a stick. Oh, is that Like, what? he has a stick stick. Oh, yeah, he has a stick stick. You find stick. it because it was dropped. And there's a wooden sword, which is a stick... And you beat the Bacoblin's asses with the stick, and then you break the cage open. But it seems yeah. like that, that monkey could have easily escaped that cage. Well, she wanted to be saved by the big manly hero. <laughs> no, the monkey was protecting Tallow. the shit kid. Yeah, yeah that's right. It was kind of cute. I forgot that. And Tallow comes back and he's like, that monkey saved my life like ten times. <laughs> I'm going to, I love that monkey forever. And I was like, man, I guess I'd love a monkey too if it saved my life from a bunch of monsters. So you take the kids back to the village, and Russell thanks you for saving his dumb idiot children. And Colin's like, I didn't get to do anything. You forgot to narrate me because I'm just <laughs> scared for this part. And he says, okay, tomorrow you're going to go deliver the sword to the queen as a tax. Because that's the thing we got to do now. Oh. And this is interesting because Russell's not only the village swordsman, he's also the village swordsmith, I think. Yeah, he made those. And um, then tomorrow morning, you do some goat herding, and then you take Epona and you're about to leave. Then Ilya finds that Epona's leg is injured, and she chews out Link for letting Epona get hurt. Yes, that's when it happens. It's like, you fucking asshole, will you take care of your horse? No, you know, no, we're leaving. And she takes your horse and walks away. And Link and the mayor look at each other, and they just kind of shrug, because women, you know? Yep. That's that scene. I remember that part. It was kind of cute ah it's kind of weird yeah weird <laughs> uh i didn't appreciate takes her the horse to the horse. ordon spring because it's magic and it can heal yes oh that's right this is this is the moment if, if zelda had not been in this game at all you wouldn't have shipped link and Ilya because it's like starts off she took my horse twice get back here asshole second time she took my horse oh my god give me a horse delaying the game <laughs> she's being responsible that's true. Like, Epona is injured in this case. Um, but before you can actually get to her, the, the shit kids demand your, your wooden sword. This is important. They won't let you through until you relinquish your wooden sword. It's like, no, I'm not giving you the sword. And Colin, the real uh, timid kid, looks up at you and goes, but thou must. <laughs> then um, you guys go over... You have to crawl through a tunnel and... Because she locks the fucking gate on you. You don't get to see your horse. Fuck you. Um, She's trying to engineer a romantic moment, Cameron. Between her and Epona? (laughs) No, between her and Link. Is that what you... Colin's right there. Colin is right there. He got in. He was trying to talk to her about the whole thing. He's trying to convince Ilya not to be so pissed. And that's when the Bokoblins show up. Now... Oh, no, no, these are not Bacoblins. They are Bublins. Boblin. No, Bublins. Bublins, sorry. That's when the Bublins. Bublins. Bulbins. Bulbins. No, there's definitely a second L in there. It's Bulbins? Bulblin. Bulb, as in light bulb, and Lin, as in Moblin. We're going to have to go through the naming, the the etymology of these... um, monsters in zelda there's it's interesting here because i think this is the first time we have two tribes of very similar not moblins running around who seem culturally distinct from each other yeah it is strange 
because Bacoblins are just like little goblins running around Hyrule Field, but Bulblins have like a society and they're nomads and they go hunting all the time. They have a king. They have a king. Yeah, they can talk. And they make their own clothes. I I like the way King Bulblin is kind of set up as almost the main villain of this game for a couple hours. Yeah. He's way stronger than most of the actual bosses. He gets that epic moment on the bridge. The epicest. Um, you know, there's something about the fact that Link has Epona right at the start here, which is interesting. Because no other game starts you off with your primary means of conveyance. Yeah. It also brings to mind the question, um, where did Epona come from in Twilight Princess? She's what a workhorse. Um, we don't see any other horses in the village, so maybe it's just oh. that, like, d- did fam- did Link's family that he undoubtedly had before Russell sort of adopted him, did they raise horses? No, I think it's a big assumption to say that he undoubtedly had a family. You think he might have grown from a tree? <laughs> I think he might have mysteriously appeared. No, I don't mean that his family necessarily lived in Ordon. No, this is your Lon Lon Ranch Link thing. Well, I'm not necessarily leading into that, but it does, like, it does suggest that question, where is Link from and why does he have a Pona? Because it doesn't really matter whether or not his family is originally from Ordon or not, but... Epona is a very specific horse belonging to a very specific breed, and it suggests that either Link got the horse from ranchers that we never see, or that Link's family that he came from before he was effectively adopted by Russell had Epona. And I'm not saying that means he's descended from Malin. That part doesn't matter. <laughs> I was going to go that way. That's what I thought he was... No. That's the intent. Link I, Malin is canon as of, uh, in the trial timeline. No. People have horses. You can name this horse anything. That horse. No, there's really only the one people who have horses, and that's the people of Lon Lon Ranch. She's Uh not wrong. Uh Horses are actually kind of rare in this setting. It's basically just Lon Lon and the Gerudo that raise horses in the Ocarina of Time see people with horses in this game. Eh. Wait, hold on. Leading the wagon. Weren't Weren't those cows? Were they? I think they might have been. Pull up a video. Uh, I'm not doing that right now. We'll do it afterward because we're not getting Also, since Link does have pointy ears, that does suggest his family is from Hyrule proper. Yeah, it does. Because I mean... Lon Lon Ranch is. Yes, that is where Lon Lon Ranch is. And Crystal does agree that um, this version of Link is probably descended from Malin. But, like, you have to remember, sweetheart, Links are not, like... Oh, wait, hold on. No, this... We've talked about this. This particular link is problematic insofar as that goes. We'll talk more about this later. I guess. Okay. (laughs) We're going to have to. We're going to have to. Ah, where were we? Horses. Horses. Ilya steals your horse and locks you out of the operating room. Then the Balbins invade. When you get in and she's like, oh, I guess... The injury wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, I'm really worried about you. Do you know that I'm the base love interest in this game? And Link is like, uh, uh, that makes sense. And then he gets conked in the back of the head. Yeah, he doesn't have his sword. He can't do anything. He gets conked. They actually shoot Ilya with a bow, and it kind of looks really severe. And they shoot Colin. Yeah, it was... (laughs) Like, Ilya gets shot in the back with an arrow. What the fuck? This game is rated T for teen. (laughs) 
This this scene is establishing really hard because I think this is the first time you ever actually see a non-link, non-enemy character get their shit wrecked on screen by a realistic weapon that isn't like a mass of light or shadow. I've got to assume that they have three hearts and like that took off like 1.5 hearts or something. Yeah, something like that. She's unconscious. It's bad. And then the um, cutscene direction in this game is also a lot different from any other game previously and any other game to come, really. Yeah, I think this is Pretty unique. This is something that came up in the Awada ass, I swear to God, about how the cutscene direction in this was led by one particular person, but I can't remember the specifics of it. Hmm. But yes, it does feel a lot different, doesn't it? It uses a lot of slow motion, a lot of very up-close, intimate shots of characters' faces as stuff is happening. And there's a lot of attention paid to the expressions of characters as they react to things. Whereas in Ocarina of Time, you'd get Link going like, ah, and that's it. Funny enough, it's shot like a Western. Like a... Like a... Cowboy Western. Yeah, yeah, Spaghetti Western. A lot of A lot of zoom in of the faces. A lot of the, you know... In and out, focusing on out into the action. Very Sergio Leone. Yeah, and there's actually a full Western sequence. Right. Yeah. But no, when you think about the whole like rustling the horse back and anyway, it's a very cowboy game. Yeah. Um, the kid and Colin and Ilya are taken. They're kidnapped. And Link is totally missed because he falls, thankfully, um, face up in the water. So he doesn't die right there. Oh, but he's lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Yep. Um, and he's just missed because he's underneath and the Baldwins don't look down or can't look down. Oh, um, I would like to point out that this sequence also, like, I'm going to point out this should be the last thing I point out from the manga because this sequence is a little bit different. In the manga, Link actually has the sword with him and he kills multiple Baldwins and attacks King Baldwin. And, like, the Bulbans are like, holy shit, this human's crazy strong. And King Bulban catches the sword on his arm, and it sinks into the bone before he beats the shit out of Link. And Link's like, the sword's not sharp enough. (laughs) It's a wooden sword. No, he has Russell's sword. Oh, Oh, okay. And he just gets the piss Why does he have Russell's sword? Okay, anyway. That part's a little bit different, but I thought that was very cool. Cool. Because all the Zelda manga are relentlessly shoujo in certain ways, but Mm -hmm. they also love these action sequences. Well, it's very shoujo. Yeah, I know. It was very dramatic. Link doesn't usually get into sequences in the video game that he just auto-loses. No, never. Ever? No. It's just not a thing of the Zelda games. It happens... if it's comedic, yes, but it's very rarely dramatic where he gets rolled yeah, over. Yeah, you're not going to fight this thing and then lose to it. That's that's mean. You get a thing in Ocarina of Time twice uh, when Kid Link gets blasted by Ganondorf and when Bongo Bongo beats up Link to a blackout. Yeah, no, I mean, not in a cutscene. You don't get the other, the anime video game sort of thing where you fight a guy and then you auto-lose. Oh, that! Yeah. No, that never happens. Right. So that's why they didn't do it here. Well, I mean, it's not like the manga came first. Uh, I know. But anyway, um, Link chases them across a bridge thingy, but oh, heck, what is that weird wall of blackness with a giant key symbol on it? Oh, before that, King Bulbin blows his horn. Oh, yes. And the blowing of this horn opens the twilight portal yes. in the sky. And that's probably what he's made what an he alliance actually... with Zant for some reason? Yes. Yeah. 
That's what he's here to do, actually, I'm pretty sure. To spread the twilight. And this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense early on, but I feel like he gives as much of an explanation as we could reasonably expect at the end of King Bulblin's character arc. Yes. Oh, because he serves the strongest. Yes. yes. Now, okay. as to why Zant wants to do it, well, we find that out. Well, King Bulblin is a very silly character, and the best thing is not to ask any questions because he's ugly and different from you, and that's good enough reason for him to be evil. No, he's not evil. No, no, no. He is ex- evil. He's explicitly <laughs> well, I evil. Mean, he, well, he's a little bit. It's like, yes, he has an explanation for why he's doing what he's doing, but just because he's a sad dad he's doesn't not, mean that he gets to... He's not mindlessly evil. Uh, mm, he's kind of mindlessly evil. Yeah, it, like he very specifically uh, lays the actual impetus for all the violence that he does at the feet of stronger people, which is a pretty mindless okay. way to approach it. But he's sapient. Yeah, he That's is. That's what I mean. Yes, he is sapient. <laughs> okay. I mean, just he's not just like a mindless moblin character. That's true. Um. Okay, so the Twilight is casted in Ordon. Is this the part, or does it come later where Ordon, or Ordonia, or whatever the hell the Light Spirit's name is, did they get murdered here or later? It's not here. Because Link chases, Link chases them and gets dragged into the Twilight Realm. By a big hand. By a big hand. There is a scuffle, and that's when we find out he has... Now, you, say, tri- there, you say there is a scuffle, but you... I love the way that you tend to approach these action sequences, because I can tell that in your brain they basically don't happen. But this is an important <laughs> shot, because it's an introduction of the Twilight Beast. You get this thing where the Twilight Beast is holding Link up by the throat, and sort of turning him in its hand and he's utterly powerless in its grip scuffle that it's not (laughs) jesus and it's also a very spooky looking monster yes um and this is have you seen some of the uh scrap designs for the twilight beasts oh they're nightmares yeah they went into some hr geiger shit the zelda team really does good at making horror designs as it turns out i mean we kind of knew that but it's interesting how little they lean into that aesthetic, considering how good they are at it. You're talking about the um, development art for the Breath of the Wild Guardians. Yes, but also the development art for the Twilight Beast is yeah. unsettling. But back to Twilight Princess. So there is a scuffle, and this is where you learn that Link has the tri- Triforce of Courage. Now, if you're mm. not previously a player, if you are someone who came of age with Twilight Princess and cut their eye teeth on this game, all you see is a glowing triangle on Link's hand, and then the beast drops him. Yeah. The uh, cutscene I'm watching actually has the Triforce of Wisdom be the one that glows. (laughs) Because the world is flipped. Is that the reason why? Yes. I'm not sure which version this is. That's why. Um, The flip also did a very significant thing in that a a key character is right-handed now when he should definitely be left-handed. And oh, yes. an- another character is... Le- Wait, who are we talking about? The, the Link. Link. The other Link. Oh, why'd you say a key character? I was trying to keep it dramatic. Oh, okay. Got it. I'm sorry. I'll edit this part out. <laughs> I have the power. Um. Yeah, he has a Triforce piece, and it's 
Well, it'd be interesting if he was the holder of the Triforce of Wisdom, but I'm pretty sure it should be Courage. I mean, he could be the holder he of the Triforce be. of Wisdom in the Wii version. Why not? That's kind of interesting. Yeah, if you read the texture as being uh, textual, then that's the chief difference between the two of them. World gets turned around, and now Link <laughs> holds the Triforce of Wisdom. Because clearly he inherited it from his ancestor. Is this how we're going to do this? <laughs> Is that what's going to happen? Apparently. Huh. All right. So, um, Crystal, what's your take on this scene where we see that Link has the Triforce? I don't like it. Why don't you like he it? He didn't earn that thing. Well, what, what's the problem with that? Why has he got to earn it? Because th- that's what he had to do in Wind Waker. And it's what he had to do in Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Yeah. Why does he get the Triforce? You remember that long spiel I had in the Wind Waker episode about the spirit of the hero and how you don't really have the soul of the hero until you forge it in yourself and, and become worthy of the acts you're trying to undertake. Yes. So like any person could become the hero. Yeah. Twilight princess is an active refutation of that, like on its face in the same way that it's a refutation of many parts of wind waker. Yeah. Twilight princess link is just born a special boy. He's born a special boy and not like child of destiny. Shit will happen around this kid and he has to rise to the occasion. Special boy. He's literally born with the blessing of the gods. Sucks. (laughs) It's not good. It's probably the most thematically incongruent element of the entire story. And as we may end up getting into a little bit and Twilight Princess, that's saying something. It's not really remarked on either. Funnily enough. He has the Triforce piece. It saves him um it turns him into a wolf he, yeah 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 midna remarks on that that her people have this prophecy of this hero showing up in the form of a sacred beast yes but i mean it's not talked about as the triforce or why he has it it's just the blessing of the gods yep well see that's just the thing is that the triforce demands a certain worthiness and a certain proof of worthiness. But this, the blessing of the gods, is just something you're given from birth? He's gotten it by herding goats very well. Oh. (laughs) And by being the best horse rider, apparently. And the best wrestler. By being the manliest, he deserves the Triforce of Courage. Sure. Twilight Princess is fucking weird. Yeah. Like, it's treatment of masculinity and how masculinity ties into worthiness for destiny is... Very strange in the context of the rest of the series. It's especially because it's interesting that you say that because it's not just Colin who has to learn to be a man. It's also the Zora Prince. Yeah, that's true. But the Zora Prince does that through loss, right? Um, He sort of shapes up with, with Link being there to help. Right. It's yeah. just like there's this thing going on with the Zora Prince where the Zora Prince realizes that he needs to step up because nobody can help him anymore and that's enough right but i mean this is a theme of twilight princess growing into men yes not so much growing into women not at all (laughs) no women die in this game more than they do any growing yeah um and then who's the other one i was thinking of oh i was just thinking of chad shod shod chad Chad. i swear to god shad shad the very unmanly man. Yeah, he's the bookworm. Who is kind of teased for that. So Yeah, he is teased for that in the context of this game because he's not a, as much of a proper man. Yep. Um, um, oh, some of our listeners aren't going to like this conversation as much. <laughs> That's okay. So Link transforms into a wolf. 
Yes. Uh, it's not really clear why, because most people that are caught in the twilight just become ethereal spirits. Mm-hmm. Though we don't know that yet. Yeah. It's just a very non-sequitur. Link turns into a wolf. I guess Zelda fans would see it as it's the dark world. He's going to turn into something. And this one is a lot more badass, therefore wolf. Yeah. It's a lot more badass. Not a bunny. A little pink bunny. Oh. Yeah, there's nothing super badass about a pink bunny running around amidst a bunch of cyclopses, I tell you what. So you're going to be a badass wolf who attacks things by jumping on them and literally ripping their throats out. I like Dog Link. He's cute. Dog Link is very cute. Yes. Oh, you can carry puppies around in this game. Yes, you can. Oh, that's good. It is one distinct benefit this game has over Twilight Prince, uh, over Breath of the Wild. You can also carry around kitties. Yes. You should be able to carry animals in every Zelda game that has animals like that. They did it in Skyward Sword. Yes. With little kitty monsters. Um. So Midna appears. And she's like, hey, hey this is interesting. And then yeah, she watches Link get dragged away. Because Link fainted once he turned into a wolf. It's yep. wolf. You try turning into a wolf. <laughs> well, maybe I will. Having your entire mass transform, it's its a rough experience. It kind of seems like it would look, it, it looks a little painful. It does. Like the Majora's Mask transformations. Um, painful. I don't know. It's a very, there's actually two different versions of this transformation sequence. One that was presented to us in the trailer where it did look really painful. And the one that's presented to us in the game where Link's wolf features just kind of pop out all at once like, boop, and now he's a wolf. <laughs> You remember, it used to be look quite different. Yeah. At least I think. It uh, doesn't look that different to me. No? As compared to the trailer? Talking about the 2005 trailer, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. It may have yeah, also... Let me rewatch that real quick. It actually seems more painful in the final game, because oh. in the trailer, his his model does actually kind of slowly change his shape. Yeah. Whereas in the final game, it's like a wolf bursts out of him. Yeah, okay, I could see how that could read as being more painful, but like the real point is that there's two different versions of this. Yeah. And it's much more sudden in the final game for whatever reason. Maybe they decided that it was too weird to have his shape change slowly. There was a brief shot of him as with a wolf face, but with hair and a hat, and maybe they didn't like furries. <laughs> also, back in that trailer, he had his hat. It's, there's a total non-sequitur to this in that um, the art designer the character designer really wanted to give link what's called a wolf haircut uh-huh it's a japanese hairstyle sure and it just apparently just did not fit even though they were very very sad and they really really wanted to have it's a google wolf haircut. uh give me a second i'm going to use okay, google I, I see what you mean here uh, he kind of has a wolf haircut i guess kind of yeah oh if we're talking about like um uh, no <laughs> uh-uh. not quite that's a bit much oh my wait that's just noctis's hair yeah pretty much anyway sorry for the non-sequitur oh what if noctis ended up having link's hair <laughs> very different this world i'm proposing um and then link wakes up and he's in a dungeon and he's chained to the floor yep they chained up a dog why did they even take him here? This Twilight Beast is also clearly sapient. It walked a long way, and Link was unconscious for a long time. I guess they could have warped. But I, I maybe it's it's intelligent enough to know that this beast is important, as prophesied by the Twilight. 
Yeah, okay. This is back That's when- all that I can really assume, because otherwise, why did you just take him to, you know, important place central? Drag him all the way to the castle. To Hyrule, yeah. Um, and this is where Minda makes her big introduction, and you hear her wonderful theme. Yeah, Minda's theme is real good. And also, she's basically like... She really comes across as an imp in this sequence. And I don't mean like a joke about how tiny she is. I mean, she comes across like Link is making a deal with the devil. Yeah. You know, they really make her out as sort of a, an antagonistic figure here. Yeah. Like you're not quite sure about what she wants to do, but it probably isn't something to benefit you. Yeah. It's not good for you, but it will be good for her. Now, Crystal, when you replayed this game, did you picture actual Midna in these scenes? What do you mean? Instead of Imp Midna being there, like when I played Twilight Princess HD, I just made it very carefully. I thought of adult actual Midna through all of these scenes and all of these lines. It's a very different set of, like a lot of these scenes read a lot differently if you imagine the same body language and actions being performed, not an adult, but being performed by a human shaped character as opposed to the imp that Midna is. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes. I know what you mean. Yeah, you you read it a totally different way. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> because no, with like with Midna imp form, like you you kind of think she hey she's kind of like a kid. Yeah, she's not. She's not. <laughs> she's essentially Zelda. It's a very um, yeah. I'm sure that somebody must have redrawn these scenes with adult impa instead of imp impa. Uh, Midna. Sorry, I keep thinking imp. It just carries <laughs> over. Sometime. Sometimes words hurt. <laughs> Sometimes words hurt real bad. Anyway, Midna. And uh, yeah, yeah. how does that affect your read of those scenes, Monica? It's it's interesting. She's a lot meaner. How does it affect your reads of the scene, Crystal? She's doming, Link. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, see, I would just say that the game gets a lot hornier. Oh, uh, yeah, that too. Yeah, she's like... Oh, you're not even a human anymore. You're just a little dog. Now be a good boy. Yeah, and she like plays with him and, you know, teases him physically. Now, when you read it in the context of her character and how she has also had her natural shape taken away from her, it reads a little less terribly. Yeah, no, but she's physically playful in a way where, you know. Yeah, it would definitely read like doming if they were both humans in these sequences. Just teasing. Yeah. In that sense. In that sense. Um, and she helps you get out. By breaking your chain. Yes. And you learn the dog mechanics. You learn the dog mechanics. And the dog mechanics here are a much better tutorial than the tutorial that you get in Ordona. Because even though Ordona is fun to play through, the mechanic part of it doesn't carry forward as well. But you're going to spend like half the game or more as Wolf Link. The mechanics are interesting too. Well, you're put in a place and you're basically it's like solve this to get out. And that's a much better sort of tutorial. It's actually a lot like the first Dragon Quest. I don't know if either of you ever played that. But in order to get out of the first room, you had to learn how to use every single function of the overworld menu. Hmm. By walking over to chests, examining things, opening chests, using items on doors. You knew how to do everything by the time you talked to your first character. Yeah. So in this one, you learn how to dig, how to use your scent and other vision, 
how to jump onto things. How to see invisible enemies. Right, how to grab and shake them, so on. Um, Midna laughs at you because you haven't really pieced together where you are. Or what's going on. Yes. Uh, but you do, well, but you the player. Fuck me, she just immediately jumps on him and That's grabs it. him by the ears. Like, you have to do exactly what I say. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you, the player, clever player, start deducing because you see some guards' spirits and freaking out. Yes, this is the part where Minda explains to you that humans caught in the twilight are essentially spirits, and you need much sharper senses to see them as they really are. Which is an interesting thing because it suggests the question, and Minda poses it to you, why didn't that happen to you? Mm-hmm. Why didn't it? Because you're protected by the blessing of the gods that you've had. You're you're the special boy. You're the special boy. (laughs) And if you're not the special boy, then you would also be a ghosty man. So the dungeon, interestingly enough, is... I guess it's connected to a giant waterway. Yep. Under the the castle. Yep. And you start climbing up and up and up. A lot of it is in disrepair, which is kind of worrying for a water supply way. I don't know, this is just what I think through when I play this part. Well, I mean, it's clear that Zant's forces have done damage to the castle. That's some pretty darn heavy damage. Yeah, it must have been a hell of a fight and a lot of magic. Um, And finally, you end up on the rooftops, and you're like, oh my god, this is Hyrule Castle. It's Hyrule Castle. Link doesn't respond to this, because he's a dog. It's a very pretty castle. Yeah, it looks good. And it's covered in monsters, and like these big, horrible tooting bird thingies with death faces they definitely toot (laughs) yeah it's like bugling almost i don't like those they're they're bad um and whenever link attacks them by doing a jumping attack he latches on them and literally uh savages them with his teeth like rips their throat out pretty good (laughs) yeah it is it actually feels really good to do that attack as wolf link it doesn't do a ton of damage it ends up doing like three hits worth but it feels like you are tearing this thing to pieces you have to waggle right um in 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 the wii version yes it felt good to waggle in the in the wii u version you just press the button a bunch right i think yeah is there any uh, meaning to the symbol on wolf link's forehead let's pull it up I like how Wolf Link has earrings, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's just so silly. And then he keeps the little cool chain. Oh. Kind of looks like a face, but who's? Um, Nintendo being Nintendo, I think they made a design because it looked cool. It's also where the Twilight Spike is um, injected, though. So it had to kind of look special. It doesn't okay. look like anything in particular to me. Like... There might be significance to it, but if there is, it's not apparent at first glance. Yeah. He's so fierce looking, Wolf Link. With his blue eyes. Blue eyes, gray wolf. Yeah, it's a strong aesthetic. So Minda and Link get to a chamber where there is a mysterious figure in a black cloak with the Sheikah symbol on their back. Yes. Yes. And when Link first gets into the room, he growls at this figure. Yes. Because she turns around to reveal that she's a beautiful woman, and immediately Link calms down and starts walking towards her, and Minna just rolls her eyes. (laughs) Yes. He's like, oh, she's like, oh my god. Now, how do you read that scene? Is Link an idiot, or do you think it's possible that he actually recognizes Zelda? Why would he be able to recognize Zelda? If he's not from Ordon. 
It's, I mean, it's immediately clear she's he's, she's royalty, at the very least. Is it? Her royal mien is so communicative to him that it is like looking upon the face of Amaterasu, and you know instantly. <laughs> but, no, I think, especially with Midna's reaction, like, haha, he's laughing at her, and then, ugh, like, boys. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, so Link literally is just that she's a pretty girl. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So Link He's is stunned. Link is Into, like Dai. Yes. I am dog. <laughs> and I think that given we're about an hour and a half into the recording, um that would be a good place to pick up for the next one, right? Okay. Yeah. Let's cut it here. Okay. So um we 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 do have some like emails, right? Yay. We, we also have Twitter questions. We have Twitter questions? Oh, uh-huh. I thought we weren't going to be taking no Twitter questions because we have so many emails. Okay, we can prioritize the emails. Oh, hell no. Let's do them Twitter questions, and then we just decide how long to spend on the okay. emails. Let me... Here's the call I put out today. We also have some in the document. All right. Let me pull up that document. <laughs> Boy. Mm. Okay, should we tend to the document first? Yeah, okay. Let's tend to the document first. Okay. Um, what, what order should we take these questions in, Crystal? Who, who reads them? I will start with the first one on the top. Okay. This comes in from Cassandra. Do you want the Four Sword to appear in future single-player Zelda games? Mm, probably not. I wouldn't really like to. Firstly, because it's broken because of our timeline thing. No, they could stick a game in at any point. Let's be real. But, no, more importantly, I think I would like the Four Sword to be in like multiplayer games but then again not really because four is too many players three is a good number be like triforce heroes what about you crystal i think the four sword should stay buried Mm. i think that i'm going to have to agree generally speaking um it's better when things are more focused and i don't like callbacks just for the sake of callbacks and the four sword saga isn't interesting enough to me in a lore sense to feel like they have to revisit that ground. Three sword. Yeah, the three sword. Great. Much more controllable size. Yeah. And our next question comes from Izzy Silver Mountain. Can you get a third oracle house? The answer is no, you cannot. Right. This is in reference to the Minish Cap in which you, um, through kinstone fusing, I think, essentially can build some houses in Hyrule Castle Town, and you can choose two out of the three um, oracles, essentially, to give a home to, and they give you... What do they give you? Tunic upgrades? Potions? Uh, charms? Charms? Uh, either way, you can only do two out of three. Sorry. There can never be full, true happiness. Um, next question is by Ral Pizzamancer. Is the light force just the spirit of Hylia reincarnated inside the princess? I think we landed on yes. Yes. I think when they made it, that it wasn't actually the reason, but it works well enough. Yeah, I I, I would definitely say that the ultimate answer is yes to this question. Also, why was the idea that Minish Cap taking place in New Hyrule after Spirit Tracks so popular back in the day on the Zelda Universe forums? What do you all think of that idea? I would imagine that would be because the history of the kingdom as portrayed in Minish Cap doesn't really feel compatible with what was shown in Ocarina. So maybe it's in the New Kingdom. 
Fair enough. Yes. That I guess that makes a certain amount of sense, but um, I've never visited the Zelda universe forums. Um, my, Same. My Zelda forums back in the day were the forums attached to the Grand Adventures, and um, that's pretty much it. So I, I don't really have a lot of perspective on that. It's an interesting idea, though. I think it's because people usually think chronologically, as in the next game to come out took takes place somewhere after one of the other games. So it's very hard to say, no, this is clearly very, very early on, unless there's something really definitive in the game itself. Yeah. That's my guess. It would also kind of make sense as to why there's no Master Sword. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, Skyward Sword places the creation of the Master Sword extremely early in the timeline. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a neat idea. I don't know that it actually works, but I see how there's this thematic through line because the power of Zelda herself is very important in both Spirit Track and Minish Cap. So it's compelling. I just don't think that it's really very canonical. Next question. This comes in from Tim Garris. I need to go back and re-listen to the Majora's Mask episode, but is there anything stopping the Demon Tribe from being the Termina slash the creators of Stone Tower? Did we assess the the Stone Tower creators on our um, our episode? We did, didn't we? We definitely did the creators of Majora's Mask. Mm, yes. Um, the Demon Tribe, like, but that was determining whether or not they were the interlopers. True. Not the Demon right. Tribe. This is sort of a, a different cross examination. Mm. From being the creators of the Stone Tower. I, I could buy that they are related in some fashion. Maybe a, a group split off into multiple successors. And basically going into this other world where they built. They are definitely thematically resonant, I think. Um, is there anything stopping them? Not really, except that it's heavily implied in Skyward Sword that the Demon Tribe was more or less wiped out. Mm-hmm. Or otherwise sealed. Well, what sealed. if they built the stone tower before that? In Termina. Yeah. I I guess there's nothing necessarily stopping that, but time is strange in Termina. I guess in the long, 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 long history of Hyrule, there isn't anything necessarily meaning they can't be. Maybe if we sat down and devoted an episode to this, we could figure out whether or not. But uh, no, it doesn't. Just, just on the surface, it doesn't seem like there's anything stopping it from being true. So... The next question is from Jasmine Marsh. I'm a heavy Beatrice Link shipper. <laughs> oh, you go. Aww. Partly because I like the idea of being able to give Link a domestic life after their adventures. What domestic lives do you think each Link would be suited to? Okay, this mm. is a complicated question because first it needs us to establish how many Links there are. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a heavy. big question. Um, That's not that hard. It's not that hard, but only because most of the time my answer is that most links aren't suited to domestic life at all. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Because most links, they carry on the adventure yeah. when the credits roll. Or they should. It's made very clear in Twilight Princess. Some of them can be guards. Some of them can be tra train conductors. Some of them can be blacksmiths. But most of them walk out toward the horizon. Skyward Sword Link would have a domestic-ish life. Yeah. Petrus or otherwise. Yeah. What? Yeah, but as regards to each link, most of them just go on adventuring. I think yeah. is the ultimate answer to this question from me. The secret to Zelda shipping is that Link can't actually hold a relationship. Oh no! Oh no! Why is that? 
He's too. His true love is adventure. And the horizon. He's married to the road. Yes. Is this Geralt? No, it's not Geralt. <laughs> Geralt no, actually he's a good character. <laughs> Geralt, act- you do not know the first thing about The Witcher. You, I played the first third of The Witcher Two: Assassins of Kings. Oh no, uh, the Witcher Three is very different. Okay, very different. No, I mean like I'm not even going to offer anything to that. Like, there's no real rejoinder if. Crystal played through not just the opening castle sequence of Witcher 2, but also everything that takes place in Flotsam. She's seen a lot of shit. Mm. Well, not not actually Geralt. Geralt, if you screw up your romances. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things about Geralt in The Witcher 2 is that he's actually being victimized enormously throughout the entire narrative. It's really weird. By Triss. By, by Triss, Marigold, yes. This is a big side. This Sorry. Is a, hey. It's fine. Yeah. You should, you've got to stop comparing things to Geralt, though. Okay. Don't do it. Yeah, because I'll keep talking about how much I hate The Witcher. Oh, no. Yeah. And we don't want that. This, this podcast is about something we love and then occasionally something that, uh, at least two of us hate very much and The Last of Us is like bummed about. What? The the Infinity War. Oh, yes. I got it. Okay. So, um, I think we're over to the, Twitter questions. The first one comes in from Jasmine. I, I don't really understand this question. What if Ghost is lesbian? Way if Ghost is lesbian. And then thereafter, Jasmine clarifies um, Zelda Midna shipping. Oh, that's great. Which I assume to mean, like, talk about Zelda and Midna shipping. It's a good ship. Okay. Yeah, sure. I really like how their relationship starts off with um, Midna hating everything about zelda but you can also tell that they've had conversations yes. before the game started that's what i mean yeah. yeah by the time link runs into zelda they have had a number of conversations zelda and midna you get the impression that midna went to zelda first yep and really hates everything that she represents and did yeah for multiple reasons that we'll get into more as we go along but yeah there's a good character growth there and then- if there needed to be more between the ladies. There really did. Yeah. Because it's interesting, the differences between the two and their, their choices and outcomes. And you kind of have to read between the lines to get to that point when it really should have just been a central theme of Twilight Princess. So it comes in from Rachel. Why don't people draw Princess Midna in the fan art more often instead of the dreadful imp? A lot of people love Imp Midna. Imp Midna is much easier to draw. Yes. I also don't feel like there's actually a dearth of Princess Midna art. There's plenty of it. Yeah, there yeah. is a, a large number, but yeah. she is harder to draw. Uh, but the people, yeah, I'm going to side with Crystal here. People draw Princess Midna a lot, uh, and they fuck up her proportions a lot, but it just tells you how horny the artist is most of the time. Oh. Uh. There's a lot of uh, disagreement about whether the stuff on her skin is clothing or just part of her skin. I'm not sure it really matters. <laughs> Hard to draw. Hard to draw. What, what, what's your take on that particular bit there, Crystal? It's clothing versus skin. Is this the cast discussion again? Oh. The pants or not pants. Yeah, it is. I think it's just part of her skin. I don't have a picture to, to look. We're at. talking about Princess Midna. Like, like you see the black part in her chest. Is that her skin or is that a vest? Just a moment. You're asking. Let's get down to what's really being asked here. You're asking if 
uh, Midna naked. Yeah. Or if she's just wearing like a... Because she's clearly wearing some kind of mantle over her shoulders, and she's wearing a skirt around her waist. Yeah, that that is plainly clothing. But the stuff on her chest uh, looks different. It looks like it is her skin. I think it's clothing. But it also goes up and around her forehead underneath the mantle. Mm-hmm. She's wearing boob socks. <laughs> and gloves. But would they be that or... tight? Listen, yes, because they're boob socks. <laughs> okay. Boob socks are just like that. You're familiar with the term boob sock, right? Yeah. Monica, it's used to describe the way that uh, women in superhero comics are yes. often drawn as if they were naked. Form-fitting to, clothing. To preposterousness. Yes. You effectively would have to make a little sock for the boob. I'm a big fan of Midna's forward... What would you even call that? Her hair. It's like a reverse widow's peak. Mm. Or do you mean like her hair tiara? No, the, her, her, the stuff that's tied together. Oh, tying her hair together. Oh, I don't know what you would call that. It's like, um, it's almost like twin tails, but then they're bound in front of her. It's like a hair necklace. Yeah. Hair necklace is as good as anything. Yeah. Her hair pendant. <laughs> it's a nice design. Uh, so it's one. is she wearing a, one stocking on her leg? I... Yes. Yeah. I think. I, sure. I didn't pull up the image is closed again. Or, no, I think her her left leg is just darker. Oh, but that looks exactly the same as her chest. You're asking a lot of questions here that I don't have good answers to. Because it's the same as her darker colored leg when she's an imp, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she also has the vest as an imp. Listen, um... Midna is designed for aesthetics first and making sense not at all. Okay. That's my ultimate answer to that question. Okay, fair enough. Dragoon Cassandra asks, or states, the 2005 GDC trailer showed several things cut from the final game. A flooded forest, a stone giant covered in moss walking around, and a goma-like creature chasing Link. How do you think these would have fit into the final game? Uh, and furthermore... Well, we'll do this... One at a time? Yeah. Okay. The flooded forest idea clearly made it into Skyward Sword. It sure did. Yeah, it sure did. Um, giant, a stone giant wandering around covered in moss kind of made it into Breath of the Wild. Yeah. And a Goma-like creature chasing Link. These are all instances of like different gameplay concepts that got experimented with but were ultimately rejected. I don't think they could have fit into the final game because the game wasn't designed around them. There was a Goma-like creature in Twilight Princess. Yes, of course, but there was no chase sequence involving yeah. it running down a canyon. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's really easy to watch old footage and be like, oh, that would have been so cool. But in reality, these things were probably cut for a good reason. Yeah, they look like... Um, the the chase sequence in particular doesn't look like it's very fun because the only version of that particular kind of chase sequence that's any good was in Mario Odyssey. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they got the Balrog in there. They super got the Balrog in there. Yep. It's hard to say and answer the question. Yeah. Because they may not have known it themselves when yeah. they made it. They might have just designed it like Nintendo does and said, oh, this will go somewhere. Oh, hey, it's not that fun. Yeah. Away it goes. There wouldn't even be a story attached to it yet. Ultimate answer has to be uh, they wouldn't have. And that's it. Uh, next component of the question. How do you feel about the change from the grayscale Twilight Realm to Bloomland? 
and Midna's hairstyle changing from teal and orange hair to just orange. I like both of those changes. Honestly, the grayscale Twilight Realm would have been pretty interesting, but it doesn't feel as much like Twilight as Bloomland does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Bloom is a bit overdone, as is common in the era, but I like the Bloomland. Yeah. If it were gentler and softer and a bit more Twilighty, as opposed to being as strong as it is, I think it would have been a much better effect. Didn't they scale back on the Bloom in the HD version? Yeah, they did. And even then, it feels a bit much. Yeah. Do you remember the shot in one trailer where Link cows in front of a very big moon as the camera pans out? Yeah, actually. That was a cool it, shot. It was a really good shot. And they used it in the game's intro, except instead he's howling in front of Hyrule Castle. Yeah. Yeah, that moon was a really good shot. They didn't end up using the moon for much of anything in this game. Moon's important. I do miss Midna's multicolored hair. Yeah, that was good. I guess they figured there's enough blue tinting in her model that they didn't need it but the multicolored hair was cool yeah teal's everywhere in the twilight realm yeah so orange then becomes very distinctive i can i can see why they did that but multicolors are always cool thoughts on the goran golem it's gross i don't like it now for our listeners since we're not very good at providing visual context for a lot of these things um the Goran Golem looks like something from a mod uh, where they've made a vague humanoid shape out of Gorans in the rolling position. It's vaguely unsettling to look at, and unsettling is about all I have to say about it. Cassandra very kindly uh, linked a YouTube video, and so if you, you, you YouTube search for Twilight Princess unused slash beta Goran Golem. You will find it. It apparently is in action. Um, it, it's uh Oh horrifying. no, I don't like this. We're, <laughs> I'm going to click play now. The, like, the textures are all warped over its disgusting body. Ugh. Wow, you see it forming. Maybe this was an alternative to the Balrog. It's just behaving like a giant Goran, so it feels almost more like the Goran mini-boss. Oh, so the trying to stop you from the room. It has little feet sticking out all over its body. Okay, my <laughs> ultimate take on this is that I'm glad they went with a really big Goron instead of a golem made out of lots of Gorons. <laughs> Thanks, Nintendo. It's vaguely unsettling to look at. Um, yes, do, as Monica suggested, and search on YouTube for the unused be- slash beta Goron golem if you want to see that. But you don't have to. Okay, uh, Crystal, I think you're next. Okay, this one comes in from Vivian. Is the spinner thing a sign that the Zelda timeline is actually a branch of the Beyblade canon? Have y'all ever watched Beyblade? No. Okay. So the thing about Beyblade is that there is not actually any skill involved in it, right? You just you just let it go, and then it's down to luck, right? Um. Now, is that a thing about the the anime, or is that a thing about playing Beyblades? Both. Okay. Okay, now, I need you to understand, Crystal, that we did have battle spinners. Um, this was a little bit before your time, but they were themed kind of like Pogs were. And we would put battle spinners into the launchers, and you'd turn them around to wind up the spring inside. And then you'd pop them out, and they'd spin in place for a while, and they'd kind of bump into each other. 
And I, I, I think I watched a, a commercial about them. I had a couple of Power Rangers ones. And I guess the ultimate goal... And mine were made of metal, so they were actually like really resilient. I'm sure they're still in my parents' house somewhere. Um, and uh, is this like that? Yeah, it's basically like that. <sighs> but you have to get like a little arena thing or something, right? Oh, well, you just lay like string on the ground or just no, say... No, for Beyblades. So... The thing they do in the Beyblade anime is they're basically like AIs inside the Beyblades that will obey the Beybladers' orders. Beyblader. Spin real fast? But, continuously? Well, you know, it's like go go in certain places and tilt a certain way to get under the other Beyblade and stuff. Wow. But then the protagonist, it's not actually an AI. It's uh, the spirit of an ancient deity. Mm. What? And he becomes its best friend. Well, I guess you would. So, is this part of the Zelda canon? No. No. What's your answer? I don't think it is. Okay. We don't have definitive uh, proof to the contrary. But as for right now, we're going to give a very tentative no. But can we talk about how there is a spirit inside of another weapon in this game? Okay. The boomerang. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a literal talking spirit in the boomerang. Oh, my God. I forgot. So if there is an anime about spinning boomerangs with spirits in them, then um, Zelda may be part of that universe. We'll get to that. That's part of... Hopefully, we'll get past that next episode. This is going to be a long series. Okay. Now I'm just reading about how the English translation completely uh, misinterpreted the concept of the bit beast. The bit because beast. it created the misconception that they were somehow trapped inside of the Beyblade rather than being spirits intrinsic to the Beyblade. Oh, so it's the Beyblade's soul. But, yes. But in English, they sealed these monsters inside the blades. Yes. That's very different. Today I learned something about Beyblades. I feel enriched. <laughs> Our next question comes from Jasmine. Is the Twilight Realm shadow banning? No, it's regular banning. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, it is just regular exile. Banning, banning. Considering we get a ghostly specter of royalty haunting their child in both this and Breath of the Wild, also Wind Waker, um, am I more sympathetic to Queen Zora because Red Ruto? Or is it more Yo King's fuck off ascended to Queendom Zelda's hit me up? Um, I think that probably... Queen Ruta comes across as more sympathetic than any of the king ghosts in this series. She was frigging executed. Yes, one, because she was murdered, though that's also true of uh, Roam. Yeah, but, like, execution, like, seems like a grand, like, paraded her out there, like, put her head on a thing, lopped it off. Uh, Yeah, but her thing is more like, um, she wants to... To terrorize her people rather than... You know, hey, Ganon broke out. No, I, I I get it. I get that the circumstances of their deaths are different. Yeah. I get that. And yeah, that is also a very large part of it. But in terms of how she behaves and relates to the uh, player, yeah, it's different because she tries to lend her son strength instead of dictating the course of his life. Yeah. Now, that may be just because she has a son, and that's how these narratives work in Zelda games, but she wants her son to be a good king. And the whole thing about the Daphnis or Roam is that they treat Zelda like a child and not as a woman who has this enormous responsibility. 
She's also very forward about her circumstances. She goes, hi, I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost because they freaking executed me. Um, here's some stuff that uh, kind of needs to be done. My son needs to be saved, please. Meanwhile, we have these two other ghostly kings going, oh, we're not going to tell you who, no, we're not even mentioning this. Much later, we are sure are ghosts of kings. But in the meantime, we have instructed you to do, you know, eight million things. What's your take on this, Crystal? Yeah, the the main difference is that Queen Zora is like a good queen and person and mother, and Rome and Daphne's both suck. <laughs> well, she's not wrong. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> they do suck. They're not great. They've got problems. They're bad dads. I mean, Zelda is a series about how our fathers fail us, and Twilight Princess is slightly different in that this is a little bit about how our mothers succeed, but only when they're dead. Oof. Only when they're dead. Um, last part of that particular series of questions. Do you like the rupee drain? Uh, <gasps> clarifying, she's referring to Mallow, his shop, and the magic armor fueled by rupees. I love Mallow. I love his subplot. And I love the armor that drains your rupees because it's something to do with them. The, the rupee drain is essential. Essential, essential, essential. I like the rupee drain a lot. Um, I don't so much like the fact that it's necessary. No, can we talk about how essential it is? How essential is it, baby? Well, in this game, you have a lot of chests. And in these chests, there are a lot of rupees. Uh huh. And one strange thing about Twilight Princess is if you go to that chest and your wallet is full, Link is putting the bloody rupee back into the chest. Is that true even in the HD version? I can't remember. I can't. I can't really. No, I think they maintain that. I think they maintain that, and but it doesn't matter because you have a magical armor set, and you pop it on for a couple of seconds so that you know one or two rupees drain. Then you open the chest, and then Link goes, "Oh, okay, I'll put this rupee in my wallet." Yeah. And then you clear the the chest marker from the map, and then the dungeon is finished then the dungeon is finished and then you are en route to fully completioning the game so that's how essential the rupee drain is on this magical armor set can you tell how monica plays zelda games from this conversation (laughs) i mean it bothered me too now i understand it didn't bother me as much because i don't care as much about that stuff but monica goes for 100 percent completion every game she plays will be complete and fuck you if you don't like every zelda game you did it in Mario Odyssey, and that's a lot more than most people. Yeah, I mean, it's I, it's not an essential thing of every other game. Games you really like, you'll do that. Yeah, you do it. You did. You have a living Pokédex. Yeah, with all the variations. Yeah, that's that's I, that's you. Yeah. Okay, being clear on that, I'm not saying it's bad. I actually think it's very endearing. But like, th- this is like th- this is very down to Monica. I think that it's very bad design. In so far as that goes. But I can see why they did it. They want it to be there in case you need to come back and pick up rupees to spend later on Mallow. But it's interesting that there is a certain subset of players for whom it's like, no, 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 no. I have to spend these. And I think the only really uh, perfect solution to this is to do like Breath of the Wild and just get rid of maximum wallet sizes. That was such a, a good thing. It was one of the best changes that Breath of the Wild made to the formula, getting rid of the wallet. Yes. 
And I think we can take one or two email questions. Let's take one or two email questions. Oh, here's here's one that I sent in. Can I read this one? You yeah, sent an readers. email in to us? I sent in this email while I was editing the Minish Cap episode, and I sent it in before I got to the end of it. So you guys still actually kind of addressed this one already, but I want to be here for a conversation. Okay. You know. Uh, okay. So, do y'all you remember? Have to justify yourself, Cam. I love justifying me. It's all I know how to do. It's, that's called masculine insecurity. Um, do y'all remember in the years between the release of Minish Cap and the release of Skyward Sword, when it was theorized that the Minish created the Triforce, owing to the Light Force not being codified as the power of Hylia and so on. What did, or do, y'all think of that theory in the context in which it existed? Oh, right. You wanted me to bring this up, and then I promptly forgot. You super forgot. Sorry. Um, let's see. The Minish creating the Triforce, I never liked that. Huh. Don't introduce something eight games in as the thing that created the thing that has been in the games all along. Mm, Please. Mm. Um, and the context in which it exists... I never bought the theory when it was when it was um, going around. Right. I, by the context in which it existed, I just mean, like, we don't know what were Hylia. So the light force, as an explanation, like, you take the light force and you combine it with this hat and it makes the Triforce. Right. That was the idea. The problem with this theory is that the Triforce symbol is all over that game. Ah, uh, yep. I mean, I always thought it was bunk to start with, but I remember it actually being fairly popular back during that little few-year window, or at least immediately after Minish Cap came out. I never encountered this theory very much. It seems very silly to me. Like, I understand it's very difficult to understand what the Light Force is, but... Having the Minish create it is a real stretch. Yeah. It, that may have been more local to our corner of the internet. It, it strikes me as one of those theories where you make the game that just came out a little bit more important than it strictly ought to be. It's so important. Just because it, it just came out and it's in your mind. Ganon's not in it, but it has to be more important than the games that have Ganon in it. Or, you know, it's... Was it Capcom? Yeah, it's Capcom. Yeah. A handheld Capcom game. Okay, thanks for answering my silly question. Oh, Lord. Tim sent us a real email. Monica, you read this. Okay. Gods and dragons. In Skyward Sword and Wind Waker, the only dragons I believe you see are explicitly identified as deities. In Breath of the Wild, there are three dragons, all of which likewise seem like a pretty big deal, though I think here they're only called spirits. There are a handful of other minor dragons you encounter throughout the series, such as Valvagia... Argorok or Gliok. This might be complicated by the fact that while we only see th three dragons in Breath of the Wild, there sure is a lot of shit made from dragon bone in that game. Mm. Mm. We also have the Leviathan skeletons to consider, which could be giant Dodongos, given that Dodongos are the only reptiles we know for sure grow that big. It's worth questioning whether Dodongos count as dragons. But the one in Ocarina of Time is explicitly identified as an infernal dinosaur, which may or may not be a different thing in Hyrule. Are all dragons gods, or do ones that are old enough and powerful enough just grow into godhood? Or are dragons just powerful creatures and the deities just choose to manifest in that image? Follow-up question that is a whole other discussion. What does it mean to be a god in The Legend of Zelda? Is Ganon a god? Good questions. Monica, I'm glad I got to hear you say it, Cuss. A what? You said a cuss. Did I? Yeah, you said shit. Oh, okay. 
I say shit all the time, don't mm. I? I'd, I'd say that you more talk shit all the time. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Very clever. There. Yeah. Oh. Um, see, here's the thing is that I think that the final part of this email is Tim really cutting to the chase. It's not a separate question because answering this does require defining what a god is in the Zelda setting. I think that the answer is a lot clearer in Japanese or to the Japanese player. In so far that in the Western sphere, there's a lot of, um, we're a lot more monotheistic in our religions. There's a clear delineation between God versus spirit. Right. And there's that. Whereas in the Japanese understanding... If you're looking at like Shintoism or certain schools of Buddhism... There's a lot of gods and a lot of spirits, and what strictly defined them isn't... Isn't always super clear. Yeah. And I think the thing is, like, there's... It may just be down to the localization, whether something is a god or a spirit. Um, These are important and benevolent things, and they are... All of the dragons are created as protective spirits, over a thing and they're subservient to some other sort of entity but they're gods but they're gods they are definitely gods now there are but, other serpentine monsters like volvagia argarok and gliok but uh crystal didn't you suggest at one point that volvagia could be the god of the gorons yeah certainly uh valu seems to be descended from it yeah and uh like I think that partially this is down to a certain tendency to need to dis- to ascribe a clear hierarchy to things when there may not be a super clear har- hierarchy to godhood in The Legend of Zelda. Like, as near as our understanding goes, the Deku Tree seems to be a god, at least of sorts, god of the woods. But at the same time, the Deku Tree also seems like just a collection of forest spirits, a really major spirit, which is a god because it's so powerful. I think maybe in the legend of zelda a god is simply a spirit that is so powerful it can protect its wards from evil that is the framework i'd go by that all things are spirits and the god is just a particularly important or powerful spirit also tim what the fuck the leviathans are whales like look at them one yeah the 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 <laughs> leviathan that's next to death mountain has the plane on top of its head. That's Levius from Skyward Sword. The one out in the Gerudo Desert has wee little tiny wings coming out of its back. That's the windfish. And as near as we can tell, the one up in Hebra is just a regular whale, which suggests that it's actually the Ocean King. They're whales, Tim. They're whales. <laughs> They're not Dodongos. A whale is just kind of like a sea dragon. A whale is basically <laughs> just a Dodongo that lives in the water. That's a good observation about dragon bone, though. Yeah, there's a lot of... Dragon bone things. Yeah. Do you think those are from, like, lizardly dragon creatures? I don't know, to be perfectly well, honest. Like, there's Lizalfos-boned Liz- things. So, maybe... There's got to be some sort of a dragon. I do have ideas about this, but I want to save it for the return to the Breath of the Wild. Okay. But it's... Yeah, I think it's fair to say there are lesser dragons and greater dragons. Yeah. Yeah. And the ones in Breath of the Wild... The, the three major ones specifically identify themselves as servants, don't they? Um, I, they are servants of Hylia, yes. Yeah. yeah, I think they are identified that way by like the lore spoken by Zelda in flashbacks, I think. Mm. I think. 
Anyway, they say that um, Ne that Nehru or is it Nairal Mountain? Anyway, one of the mountains named after a dragon is described as being named after a servant of the goddess, hmm. if I remember. But it's also interesting because they may be conflating the dragons with the Triforce gods who have utterly been forgotten by the time of Breath of the Wild. Religion Zanian, Zelda. Well, they live for a very long time. Uh, is Ganon a god? Yes. He wants to be. Ganon's a very bad god if he's a god. Well, he- you know, that's your opinion. <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean, what do you mean by bad? I mean, what makes a god, really? Because, like, in... Uh, what is it called? Four Swords Adventures. He's literally worshipped by the Deku. <laughs> no, so. hold on. Back up a second. What? Crystal, what is this question? What do I mean by bad? Do you mean bad as in evil? Or do you mean bad as in ineffective? Oh, evil. Okay. Yeah, fair. <laughs> no, he's a highly efficacious uh, bad god. Okay, yeah, I thought I thought you were saying... He is bad at being a god, which oh, is no. not true. No, Ganon is not an impotent god. Ganon is real good at his job. Do we want to try for one more? Yeah, let's do one more. Okay. Oh, this one is... Okay. You get this one, Crystal. This comes in from Benjamin Sasso. Hi, everyone. I've been a huge fan of the podcast since the Breath of the Wild episode. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, that's really Each nice. Each episode has rekindled my love for the series. And I find myself enjoying The Legend of Zelda now as much as I did when I was a little kid. Aww. Thank you for doing what you do. I have a few questions for either the Interloper episode or any of your Twilight Princess installments. Number one. The fused shadow piece worn by Minna bears a resemblance to Majora's Mask, and the Twilight are said to be an ancient magical tribe similar to the supposed creators of the mask. As fans, how do we know when to attribute these similarities to coincidental art styles and plot devices versus actual lore details? I'd say it's just by feel. There's no solid answer, so whenever you please. Yeah. <laughs> or whenever you can you thread the lore pieces together. When it sounds good. When it sounds good. Yeah. Nintendo's not... I don't even know if the, they noticed... The similarity. Until it's pointed out. Until it's pointed out. They're like, oh, I, I guess so. Oh, that is the same eye. Huh. <laughs> and then they'll do whatever they like with that, that knowledge, that new knowledge. But as fans, you know, if you can make the the pieces piece together, then go for it. If you can't, then just say it's It's yours. actual lore when it's convenient to me, and it's coincidental when it's not convenient Exactly. To me. That is the entire backbone of this podcast. Number two. Is the absence of the Gerudo tribe significant? Because the game is seen as a sequel of sorts to Ocarina of Time, I would have loved to see how the Gerudo people responded to their king being tried and executed. Are we meant to interpret their absence as a consequence of these events? Yeah. Um, we would probably touch upon that when we talk about the Arbiter's Grounds. But we can talk about it right now, too, in that it really feels like the Gerudo were either exiled or, you know, Why? executed. <laughs> it's not nice. Oh, I I prefer to think of them as sort of voluntarily piecing out because I think their their land is probably a lot larger than the small bit that is near Hyrule. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. That is a lot nicer. 
I mean, it makes sense in the context of how we see them again in Breath of the Wild. The question, is the absence of the Gerudo tribe significant, is a good question, because I like to read these games as existing uh, as singular entities. But Twilight Princess decidedly is not. It is aggressively, repeatedly, and insistently a sequel to Ocarina of Time in particular. And the lack of Gerudo iconography and people throughout the course of the game is significant, yes. It would be easier to read Ganondorf as not being Gerudo, but he still is. He's still that same person with that same background, and he comes from the same people. So whatever he did, it seems like it definitely had a consequence for his people because you do run around in the Gerudo desert, and that is where the Arbiter's Grounds, a clear Gerudo holy place, is. And it's also been colonized and taken apart. Yeah. The design of the Arbiter's Grounds is really interesting. We'll talk about that more during the actual episode, though. The Hyrulean people showed up and fucked that place up. Yes, it's significant. Um, I also prefer Crystal's interpretation where they sort of just pulled further back into their own territories and ceded parts of it to Hyrule. Yeah, because there was a war. There was definitely some kind of war, and like there probably was some kind of reprisal, but the idea that Hyrule completely wiped them out is way too fucking much. Yeah, it's pretty dark. I don't want that. Sorry about Ganondorf, bye. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Question three. In the HD remake, certain carvings in Hyrule clearly depict humanoids with wings that strongly resemble the Rito tribe. Is it possible that they exist in this timeline? Yeah, we, we need to talk about that one mural. Let me bring it up. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let you lead on this one, Crystal. Okay, let me get a link going here. Here's this one mural that is uh, a texture near the walls of Hyrule Castle. And there's been much debate as to its meaning, if I can open this image. So just to describe it, there are three... Uh, panels. The leftmost panel appears to show a Goron holding out a tri the full Triforce over its hand, and to the right of the Triforce is a woman, a man, and a boy. The woman looks like Zelda, the boy looks like Link. He has the shield, and the man, you could maybe say he looks kind of like Ganondorf, but that's I wouldn't go hard on that. The woman looks almost like a Zora to me. Yeah, I could see that. Her hand is also extended towards the Triforce. Yes. It's, it looks like either the Goron is giving it to her or she's giving it to the Goron. The middlemost panel has uh, two Rito on either side of the same boy from the first panel and a different woman holding a pot. And then the rightmost panel has uh, Zora holding a spear to the right. Uh, Uka and her son, or at least people who look like them in the middle, and then the boy and the man from the first panel on the left. The man looks sort of like Ronaldo. Yeah, I could see that. So maybe he represents the Sheikah or the royal family. I don't know what to make about this. <laughs> you can also see that the Triforce's rays stream from the left all the way to the right panel. It's almost as if the Triforce represents not an object that's in the scene, but the radiance of the gods that lights up everything. And is this left to right or right to left, really? Um, I don't think this is actually a narrative sequence at all. Mm -hmm. I think this is 
an awareness of the timeline split, where the first panel is the unified Ocarina timeline, the second panel is the adult timeline, and the third panel is a child timeline. Mm. I could see that. Yeah. That's my best theory. I Trying to read it in canon is difficult. There were a couple of other changes or additions to Twilight Princess HD in that there was a there was a picture of the field in Breath of the Wild, correct? Um, Am I thinking of the right game? I think, yeah, I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, I think there's two. Like, I think Mallow's... You, you, get, you get a shot of part of the Great Plateau in a piece of art in uh, Twilight Princess HD. But this kind of gets into, like, the Mario pictures you can find <laughs> in Ocarina of Time. yeah. They're just Easter eggs. It's like, why is the why is Majora's Masks being hung up in um, what's his name's in, shop? In Link Between Worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not dangerous anymore. Wait, wrong timeline. Wrong timeline. You could say that the fabric between the the timelines is being depicted here, I guess. And that what? How how does this timeline know of the others though? Oh, dreams. The Aneroverse. Uh huh. Yeah. All right, I buy that. <laughs> That, you know, that's the kind of thing that the esoteric scholars of Hyrule could develop. Wacky artists, dreaming big. Always dreaming. Do we have anything more on that one? I think that's all we got. I think that's all we got. And with that is the end of part one of our Twilight Princess series. Oh boy. Uh, Cameron, where can we find you online? You can find me online at CamWriter on Twitter. Oh, shit. We should have introduced the email address at the start of this. We should have introduced the email address at the start, but we didn't, so I'll say it now. Please send us emails to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That is bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. You can find me online on Twitter at arcanecrystal. You can find me on the Let's Place podcast on audioentropy.com. Why don't you head down to audioentropy.com and check out some of the other podcasts on the website. There's Teenagers with Attitude. There's uh, there's All Along the Watchtower. There's Digimon Digital Moncast. And maybe click that donate button. We don't see any of that money. That just goes to hosting the website. Our very nice site administrator pays for the hosting out of their own pocket. So help them out. Yeah, money. I need you to stall for me. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, I forgot we were doing a regular Zelda. Oh, shit. Okay. So, um, and don't forget that our podcast art was also done by Tor Kirby, who can be found at, I believe, torkirby.com. Let me check that real quick. Also, you know, we don't really have to... Yeah, torkirby.com. You know, we don't really have to stall for you, though, because I'm going to edit out any silences. Okay. Well, I already found one. Okay. This joke comes from ZeldaDungeon.net thread Zelda Jokes, posted by Heroine of Time Uh on March 24th, 2013. What percentage of Nintendo stock is owned by Skull Kids? What percentage? The majority. (laughs) Okay. I like it. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.